0: You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org. Matthew chapter 26 is where we turn our attention again this evening in God's Word. Matthew chapter 26. And we begin reading at verse 26. We'll read to verse 30. Matthew 26, beginning at verse Twenty-six. Now, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, He broke it. And giving it to the disciples, He said, Take, eat, this is My body. And when He had taken a cup and given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's go to our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day that you've given us to set our focus on the Lord's Supper to set our focus on what our Savior gave to us for a memorial, for a remembrance of Him until He returns. Thank You, Lord, that these words that we've just read are our food. Lord, this is how our faith is sustained. This is how our love is fueled. This is how, Lord, You sustain us and preserve us safe to the end. And Lord, I pray that You would do that work tonight in our hearts even as we proclaim Your truth, as we hear it. Lord, would You use it for the good of Your church, for the feeding of Your sheep, for the growth of Your people. And Lord, if it should please You, also for the salvation of the lost. And we ask You these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, He instituted the Lord's Supper. The people of God now celebrate the greatest deliverance deliverance from the wrath of God, deliverance from estrangement from God. And we do this by remembering our Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. The new covenant was inaugurated by his death and his resurrection. As he says, the fruit of the vine and the cup represents the blood of the covenant. This is how the new covenant was ratified, by the blood of the Messiah himself. Elements of the Passover meal were taken by Jesus and transformed into symbols that speak of his substitutionary life and death for us. And we began looking at that this morning. We said that these verses, verses 26-30, through can be organized around four words. The first one we saw this morning was transformation. As I just mentioned, he took what was used to memorialize Israel's deliverance from Egypt and transformed specific elements of that so that the church would remember what he has done that delivers us from the wrath of God. The elements that he makes use of, the bread... And the wine he uses symbolically, these things speak to us of our great substitute. And that's the second word we mentioned, the word substitution. As we'll read later this evening when we observe the Lord's table together, Jesus made plain that his body was for us, his blood was shed for us. As Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 5, as I've already mentioned, Jesus is our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He lived the life that we could not live, He died the death that we deserve to die. He came into the world our representative, our Savior. And what He gave to save us, what He gave to deliver us was Himself, His own body, His own blood. And the Lord's Supper always reminds us of this, our great substitute. Now tonight we begin with a third word, and that's the word hope. Verse 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Our Lord institutes this in a way that makes clear that this memorial is one that doesn't just speak of death, it also speaks of life. He speaks of His body and His blood. He speaks of His death, but He also makes clear at the very same time that this is not the end. When He says that He will partake again with them in His Father's kingdom. This obviously requires that He lives and that they live. More than once He has spoken not only to them of His crucifixion, He has spoken to them of His resurrection. Matthew 16.21, from that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised... Matthew 17, verse 22, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. And He will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. I mean, it becomes clear in all of these texts that the disciples don't fully grasp what He is communicating to them, but each time He talks to them about His death, He also does so in a way that's triumphant because He talks to them about His triumph, His resurrection, His life on the other side of this sacrificial death for our salvation. Matthew 20, verse 18, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and He will be raised on the third day. Well, here he says in verse 29 that he will drink it new with them one day in his father's kingdom. And so even as he institutes the memorial, he reminds them that this is not the final celebration. They have a future. He has a future. And they will enjoy this together. His death means the full forgiveness of his people, Verse 28, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Nothing to dread when it comes to the judgment because our Savior was the one who took our judgment. Dying as our substitute, the full weight of what our sins deserve was poured out on Him. He paid for our sins in full. His blood means our forgiveness, which means the complete acceptance of His people. We don't dread now. We don't dread our death. We understand that death now on this side of eternity is just a portal into the very presence of God. Our resurrection is guaranteed. His resurrection is the first fruits. We will live together forever with Him, which means that His death guaranteed the future joy of His people. When He talks about drinking it new with them in His Father's kingdom, this this is a celebration feast. This is a feast that takes place when all of the enemies of God are put under the feet of His Son. When will He feast with them again? When will we experience what He describes in verse 29? The answer is when He returns from heaven to the earth. Is second coming. This is our hope. This is our future. This is where our focus is fixed. Even as we sojourn as pilgrims on this side of eternity, we're, we're mindful of the fact that this is not the end and this is not our home. John 14 verse 1, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am you may be also. He promises to come and get us. Matthew 25 verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Christ returning from heaven to earth, ushers in his kingdom, he will sit on his glorious throne, but he tells his disciples that when he comes to sit on his glorious throne, they will join him. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You and I will not have the roles assigned to the apostles, but we will rule and reign with Him. When our Savior returns and all the enemies of God are put under His feet, we will rejoice in His presence. We will share in His finalized victory. The victory has already been accomplished. We're just waiting for the full manifestation of it, and we will rejoice in that day. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death, last three words, until He comes. And so even as we participate in the table, we're not just looking back at what Jesus did to save us. We're looking forward to all that He's promised us regarding our future that He Himself will give to us when He returns. So it doesn't just represent remembrance, it also represents promise. Acts chapter 1, verse 10, And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. One day Jesus will return bodily, visibly. The whole world will know it. This is our hope. This is our sure expectation. This is our holy confidence. Even as Jim Hamilton preached during our conference last weekend, this is a key to the courage of God's people and understanding of the promise of our future, understanding the promise of resurrection. Jesus is coming again, and He will rule and reign over the entire earth. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess the truth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Hebrews 10.11 says, And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. So, We see this transformation. We see it focuses on our substitution. The third word is hope. This is instituted in a way that looks forward as well as looking back. Do this in remembrance of me, yet you do this until I return. And he says to his disciples in verse 29, that one day he will drink this new with them in his father's kingdom. Brings us to our fourth word summarizes these verses that's the word worship worship verse 30 and after singing a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives our Lord sets forth this institution for us to remember him and in that way worship him The beauty of His character is on display in these verses. As as we noted this morning, you you have this, this most beautiful institution put into effect against the very darkest kind of backdrop, which is the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. You see Christ's character and it calls forth our worship. So this is given that we might worship Jesus, But in in so doing, we also see in Him what belongs to worship. So we see Him and we worship Him, but we see Him and we also see what it looks like to worship. Because what do you see in our Savior at the very time that He institutes His Supper, but that He honors His Father? Our Savior trusts His Father perfectly, even in this scene where His death is being spoken of and symbolized, there is joy. We saw this two weeks ago. He spoke of His longing for this evening to be able to spend this time with His disciples. This is something that Christ embraced with joy. Where there is worship, there must be trust. Worship and distrust never go together. Now, it is possible to worship God and our weakness to be on display. It is possible to worship our God with the weakness of our faith being felt. I think about the man who said, Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. There can be worship there. But what cannot exist is worship for God while you distrust Him while you don't trust His perfect wisdom, while you don't trust His perfect goodness, while you don't trust His perfect sovereign control over every element of your life, there's no way to worship God without knowing He is completely worthy of your worship, which means He's completely trustworthy. You look at Jesus on the night when He was being betrayed. Even as He's identified as a betrayer, He is not in the dark. He knows exactly what is happening, and yet... You see trust and you see joy. Let me ask us this evening, are we worshiping God right where He has us tonight? Do we know the kind of peace and courage and contentment and joy that says we trust our Heavenly Father? Jesus, when He breaks the bread that's going to symbolize His body, what does He do? He gives thanks. Jesus, when He distributes this cup full of red wine that speaks of the shedding of His blood, what does He do? He gives thanks. And after giving thanks in the offering of the bread and giving thanks in the offering of the wine, what does He do in verse 30? He sings a hymn with His disciples. He leads them in worship. And then, verse 30 says, He makes His way out with them to the Mount of Olives. At the foot of that mountain is the Garden of Gethsemane. What is Jesus doing? He is marching forward to the very place where He knows He's going to be tested. To the very place where He knows He will be arrested. To the very place that He knows will lead eventually. To His crucifixion. The weight on Him is enormous. In that garden, He says, if there's any other way, nonetheless, not My will be done, but Yours. That speaks of the weight that our Savior knew. And yet even at the moment, when He's about to march toward what is the weightiest kind of test, He is trusting. And He is joyful. Where are you being tested? I'm not comparing the two, of course. I'm saying to you, we're not only meant to worship Him, but we see in Him what it means to worship. And so I'm asking you, are you worshiping God right now in your tests? If you're being tested tonight, are you worshiping the Lord right there? If you're hurting, if you're suffering, if your flesh cries out, oh, that it could be some other way, do you still know that your Heavenly Father is perfectly wise, perfectly good, perfectly in control, worthy of your wholehearted worship right where you are. Right where it hurts. Right where you feel the weight of your circumstances. Right where you're being tested, God is worthy to be worshipped. And your Savior demonstrates what that looks like. So when we look at these verses, what do we see? We see transformation. The closing of one era of redemption history and the opening of a new one. The inauguration of the new covenant. No longer do we celebrate The Passover, the people of God no longer celebrate the Passover. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. He is our Passover lamb. What do we see? We see substitution. His body for us. His blood for us. Our representative, our strong shepherd came into the world, lived for us, died for us, was raised for us. He saves us. He is our Savior. What do we see in this? We see hope because we observe this for as long as He is away. And when He returns... We will celebrate with Him in the presence of God forever. They will be My people. I will be their God and I will be in their midst. This is what our Lord gave to us by virtue of His own sacrifice. What do we see? We see worship. This means we are the most blessed people on the face of the planet. So that no matter the difficulties life brings our way, and life is not just randomly bringing it our way. Let's say it another way. Whatever our sovereign God brings into our lives, allows into our lives, right there, He is worthy to be trusted. We should rejoice in Him, right there. We must worship Him, right there. Transformation, substitution, hope worship. Now as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together tonight let me just briefly mention four things for our own observation of this ordinance. First of all this remembrance is to be observed is to be embraced spiritually. The only people who can really celebrate the Lord's Supper are saved people. The symbols speak of realities that the Lord has brought us into. We are able to say that Christ gave Himself for me. We're able to say that along with the Apostle Paul. He gave Himself for me. It's true, He gave Himself for us, but now this has been personalized by God's saving work in each of our lives. He gave Himself for me. And so when we observe this together, what are we meant to do? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So what do we do? We call to mind... The gospel, we call to mind what God has revealed about His saving plans. We call to mind the work of our Savior. We call to mind all that Jesus has done to save us. And we cherish that and we feast on that spiritually, which involves thanksgiving and involves praise, but it also involves self-examination, doesn't it? Because if I say... That Christ died for my sins, then I must also know that this is not what I'm to go on in pursuing sin, but rather I pursue Him. So that the Lord's table has been given not only for our spiritual nourishment and our spiritual encouragement, it's also been given for our spiritual purity. This is a regular time for the church, for us to examine ourselves and make sure that we don't participate in a way that's unworthy. And as I've said many times, the answer is not to refuse the Lord's table. The answer is to refuse your sin. And so when you come to the table and you're aware of things where you've been sinning, this is a call to repentance. A gracious gift given to the church by which we regularly repent. So what is there in your life that is out of step with what you're about to participate in if you really know Jesus? And whatever that is, make it right. If it's in the realm of relationships, make it right. If it's in the realm of your own attitudes and your own struggles as an individual, just you and the Lord, make it right. If there's been a battle in your soul about your way versus God's way, then make it right. What a gift the Lord has given us, and it's one that's to be embraced spiritually. This is only for true disciples. Second, and I thank God for this, this is a remembrance to be observed, to be embraced simply. Simply. That is, the elements are simple, aren't they? It is reverential because of what is symbolized, but the observance of it is actually very simple. It's not cluttered up with a lot of ceremony. It's bread and it's the fruit of the vine, red in the cup, That's it. And we do this thinking about him, remembering him, giving thanks for him, examining ourselves. It's as simple as that. It's interesting to me how often our flesh wants to substitute some sort of form in the place of just sincere observation, just simple, sincere observation. And so we who lead you in this ordinance should never clutter it up with unnecessary ceremony and you who observe it should never seek more than what it is. It is a simple way by which we fellowship with our Savior and give the Lord regular thanks for what Jesus has done to save us. We observe it spiritually. We observe it simply. Third, this remembrance is to be observed and understood symbolically. I don't have to spend a lot of time on that You already know this, but once again, how does the Lord meet with us at the table? It is not transubstantiation. This will be bread after it goes into you just as surely as it was bread before you ate it. It will be grape juice after you ingest it just as surely as it was before you did. There's nothing magical that happens with the elements. The elements are symbolic, but there is real fellowship around the table. So that we fellowship with the Lord, but we're also partaking of the same elements which speaks of our fellowship with each other, which is why it's a reminder it is so grievous for us to have schisms and division among us as we partake of the one bread and the one drink. This is a great encouragement for us to always remain right with each other as well as right with the Lord. These symbols speak of our union with Jesus and our union with each other. We have been brought to the Lord. We are now the people of God. Our future is secure and we journey together. We are fellow pilgrims, fellow strangers on our way to heaven, which is why we gather each Lord's Day to exhort each other all the more as we see the day approaching. This is our responsibility one to another. We exhort each other every step of the way until we get home. Fourth, finally, this remembrance is to be observed submissively. Submissive in the sense, as I said, we don't clutter it up. We simply do what Jesus told us to do. But submissive in another sense, submissive in the sense that we understand He gave it to us. To be observed. In this way, we do remember Him. Let me put it to you this way. Do you sometimes feel that the Lord's table is not important. If you can be honest with your own viewpoint, do you sometimes see this as not very important? I want to to remind you that we did not invent this, did we? This is not a human invention. This has come to us from Jesus Himself. He is the one who says we're to do this as often as we do it, doesn't specify how often we have to do it, but as the church gathers regularly, we regularly enter into this ordinance, in that way, identifying ourselves with him, but in that way also reminding ourselves of what He did to save us and reminding ourselves that he's coming again. The Lord's Supper is not unimportant. It's vital. To our walk with God. God doesn't give us things we don't need. Jesus hasn't assigned things to His church that His church doesn't need. And so tonight, as we partake of this together, let's do it with great joy, knowing that this has come from the hand of the very one whom we will see one day with our eyes. Right now, we love Him though we've not seen Him. One day we will see Him face to face. And until we see him face to face, the very one we will see face to face is the one who said, here is my table. Do this in remembrance of me and do this until I return. What a joy to know that we walk in the footsteps of every saint of God who has lived since he instituted this supper. In that we all have been commanded and we all have submissively observed what He gave. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank You for this sweet section of Scripture so rich, so full of doctrine, so full of reasons for our worship, so full of that that causes us to love and admire our Savior, so full of that which is necessary and good for our souls. I pray, Lord, that we would take what we've seen today and heard today into our hearts in a way that we worship. How can we see how our Savior loved us faithfully to the end, even against the backdrop of betrayal, gives you thanks as he speaks of his body, gives you thanks as he speaks of his blood, sings a hymn in worship after instituting a supper that speaks of his death and then marches his way to the Mount of Olives where he will suffer to bring us to you. Lord, when we see this, it demands our worship. And I pray that we will. And I know that we will because we are Your people. By Your grace, You have made us Your own and given us love for You that we did not have when we were away, when we were apart, when we were lost in our sins. Thank You for Your grace and mercy to us in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.